Hello one and all, this is Out to Lunch, the destination for big name guests who want to eat wonderful food whilst chatting to yours truly. This week, I am joined across the table by someone who made her Broadway debut in The Killing of Sister George in the late 60s and still fills theatres over there to the rafters. Over here, she is due to star opposite Timothy Chalamet in 4,000 Miles at the Old Vic next year. She co-created Upstairs Downstairs in the House of Elliot and on screen as starred in the Crown Gosford Park Cold Mountain Dot Martin and even Paddington 2. We talk about catching a lift home with Laurence Olivier, being propositioned by a significantly younger Hollywood star and turning down a role opposite DiCaprio. It is, of course, the magnificent Dame Eileen Atkins. Didn't you steal a lift home with Laurence Olivier most every night? Every I, night, because, even though he wasn't going anywhere near where you yes, lived. Yes, and then he caught me out and it was awful. <laughs> Uh, for this episode of Out to Lunch, I have come to the Aldwych in London. You can hear it rattling past because it's the site of one of, well, Theatreland's great restaurants, which is the Delaunay. It's owned by the same group that has the Wolseley and Zadell and so forth. Uh, the Delaunay is a Theatreland institution and so is Dame Eileen Atkins. It felt like a perfect fit. Let's go inside. Oh, I never knew about this. You never knew there was a private dining room at the Delaunay? No. No. Hello, Alice. Hello, Jay. You come here quite regularly. I do come here quite a lot because Jonathan Kent is a friend of mine. It's his favourite restaurant. Have a seat. I've not seen my book. Can I have a look at it? You haven't seen a proof? No. Oh, my. There you go. proof. I'm going to show you a photograph because I think it's important that people know you're not just someone I'm interviewing, as far as I'm concerned. I'm linked. You're very linked. I mean, you (laughs) knew my dad longer than my mother knew my dad. Really? Yes, I did. Of course yeah, I did. Of course yes. you did, because you I met... remember always worrying that your father would f- find somebody who was right for him. I can remember thinking that at, at, at drama school. So. Well, you, you have a picture in the book of you in Panto. Yeah. And it's uh, Mother Goose. Yeah. But we've got another pic, which is the walk down at the end. So if you have a look, there's you. And your you. dad is there, is he? He's, he's two down from you, so it's annotated. You can see you. Oh, in... yes, 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 I can see Des. I didn't need to know that. I knew that was Des straight away, just from the way he was standing, um, wishing he was playing the devil. <laughs> but he's playing some sort of forest outlaw oh, type. God. In the book, or in yeah. your story, you tell your story of being a working-class girl from Tottenham. Yeah. Having sugar sandwiches for lunch. <laughs> yes. And now we're in the uh, private dining room of the Delaunay, <laughs> surrounded by oak panelling. And you, you've said you, you had a, not just a chip, but a whole bleeding block on your shoulder mm-hmm. about class. Mm-hmm. Is that gone? Oh, we moved on. If it hasn't now, I, yes, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm interested to read. They're now taking so many children from working class and giving them... Uh, special help to get to universities and things like that. I mean, I'm I'm up for all those things, and I still I keep an eye out for them. But uh, yes, I have nothing to complain about now. You you've described that childhood and your mother, sort of getting you out dancing in clubs, for the delectation of men, when you were just a child. Yes. I'm You've used the word paedophilia many, many times, as though th- there was this thing of men being attracted to prepubescent girls dancing around well, they in are. their pants. They are. <laughs> oh, can I tell you? They are. This is Linda. Hello, Linda. Seconds. Lovely to meet you. 
Um, shall we order? Yes, I would like the um, quinoa and avocado salad to start with. Marvellous. And then I'd like eggs benedict, please. Would you like a large or a small? One or two? I think just one. Excellent. I'm a very old woman. (laughs) 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 And I'll have the smoked salmon and then the Bernaverstel, which is a very grand name for a sausage. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. And do you want a glass of wine? I would, yes. What would go? I have no idea what would go. You'd have to tell me what Some might sort of go. crisp with white. It. Have you got a Chablis by the glass? Yes, we do. Have a Shab- two Chablis <laughs> by the glass. How <laughs> lovely. Clearly, from your descriptions of it, you liked being on the stage. You liked, even though, and I, I know you won't take this the wrong way, it sounds like quite a naff little act. Oh, you can say that easily. It was an amazingly naff little act. I like the attention, but at some point I do point out that, honestly, I didn't like being got up to go out to the clubs terribly. One of the other striking things about your story is your formal education is a sort of scattergun affair Mm -hmm. with you paying attention, they're not paying attention, and that if it hadn't really been for the great English teacher at your secondary school, is it E.J. Burton, is that right? Yeah, he was fabulous, yeah that you wouldn't be the person, the actress that you are. Is that fair to say? I owe everything to... I'm, I'm going to start crying just saying it. I owe everything to that man. I really do. Um, and every day I'm grateful that he picked me up and took some interest in me. Oh, starters are arriving. So that's the salmon for me and the avocado and quinoa salad for you. One of the striking things about you, I'm going to keep saying, you know, striking things about you, but is... Strike mates. You are obsessed by the text. Obsessed. You should be trying to work out exactly what the writer meant. And it'll be different each time anyway, because there'll be different people doing it. I hate the directors who sit and think, what can I do with this? Have you had rows with directors over that sort of thing over the years? Yes. You know, it was clear that you had a massive falling out with Peter Hall oh, right at the sad. beginning. Oh, God, that was sad. That was my fault, really. That really was my fault. He, you know, obviously he went on to have a lengthy career. He ran the National. What did you do? It said in my contract at Oxford... This is a- the Oxford Playhouse, AS, isn't Yes, it? ASM and small parts, and I didn't get any small parts. But I was, I, I, you know, I paid dearly for that outburst of anger. Did you ever rectify this? He didn't employ me until I was 57. (laughs) (laughs) And to put this in context, your first experience with him would have been very early 20s, wouldn't it? I was 19. 19. No, I've still got a temper. We've said that. You you also said that both your parents died in the middle of a rage. Mm. They both lost their tempers easily. My father went, said to my mother, those dustmen, I tell them to bring the dustbin down the side of their house. And they don't do it, do they? So I'm going to have to go and do the dustbin. And he went out and then didn't come in again. And my mother thought, he's still out there. Went out and he was, uh, had a heart attack over the dustbin, was dead. And my mother was in hospital Mm. and got into a rage because she'd been there for a week with flu. She was 94 in the hospital, so she was absolutely fine and was sending her home. My sister was with her and packing her little case to go home. That week, I was in the film that was chosen as the Royal Command performance of The Dresser. And they the great Ronald Howard. 
play adapted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the last minute, we were all told it was the premiere and we were all going to be introduced to the Queen and everything. They took me out of the lineup because I wasn't well enough known by the public and put my friend Jean Marsh in instead. <laughs> Can we just be clear what year this was? I'm going to say 87. So significantly deep into your career. Mm. And she suddenly went into one of her rages with my sister and said, wasn't that a damn shame? that our Eileen didn't get to meet the Queen. And they brought in that Jean Marsh instead. And she, my sister didn't know anyone could die so quickly. She just collapsed over the suitcase and was dead. I thought it was a great, great That's a good way to die, great isn't it? way to go. But also, there's no doubt that your, your mother imbued you with certain of her own ambitions. Hmm. And she goes out being livid that you haven't had the... I, I, once again, I disappointed her. I, I did disappoint her all the time, all the time, because she got herself ready to have this child who was in musicals and pantos and things like that. I started spouting Shakespeare. She didn't like it at all. As I say, you go through many different types of production, many different types of company, mm -hmm. some terrible, some awful, mm -hmm. some great. Mm -hmm. Some which were basically bed-hopping, as far as I can tell. <laughs> One was, yes. <laughs> um, you land a part with Laurence Olivier. Mm. When that happened, did you think, now I've arrived? Yes. How was he? What was he like? Oh, he was... I, I was in love with him. I mean, he was heavenly. What was the play? Remind me. It was, it was called Semi-Detached. I got the impression that, the, really for you, the best entertainment was who came back stage. Oh, God. When Larry oh, it was the was... first time I was with some acting with somebody that I mean I can remember Elizabeth Taylor coming uh, and then immediately me stealing on the lift with him afterwards always and him, I, I said I could only see the top of her head and he said she has the most beautiful coloured eyes in the world and uh, everyone came Rex Harrison came to see that and got me a job on a record. You never know who's in the audience. Didn't you steal a lift home with L Laurence Olivier most Every night. Every I, night, because, even though he wasn't going anywhere near where you yes, lived. Yes, and then he caught me out and it was awful. <laughs> you did a whole thing about walking, getting dropped off and walking down to... Some friends of mine, and you say, oh, no, I just walked down to these... How, how long were you getting a lift with Larry Olivier? Before he... Before he clocked. I think I had lifts for three and a half months before he... By then, were you married to Julian? I was married to Julian then, Right, yeah. then you see your, your first husband, Julian Glover. I always feel the need to put full names for people who aren't clocking. Who you will have seen if you're of a certain age in Game of Thrones, which seems a terrible way to... Uh, list Julian's credits, but well, Julian is somebody who does frightfully. I mean, he's been in all these iconic things. I've never been in an iconic thing ever. That he's been done Game of Thrones, Doctor Who. He's been in the um, 007, what they called. I've never James seen James Bond. A, I've never seen a James. You've Bond. never seen a James Bond. No, I don't like. I saw a bit of one and couldn't bear it. I tried to watch the one with Judy. Oh, I was going to say, once Judy Dench comes in as I thought M, I had to time watch that. Ten minutes, I thought, I can't stand this. I can't bear screeching of brakes and cars flying. Or oh, I, live that. For I just it. can't bear it. So I've never seen a James Bond. And when Julian got a James Bond, we'd just been divorced a few years, I think, when he got that. And he called me up, because we're very friendly, he called me up to say, 
You won't believe it. I've got a James Bond movie. I've had another. And I said, um, oh, so it'll be you that we're watching on Boxing Day in three years' time, will it? <laughs> so Julian was in for your eyes only, for anybody who's wondering. Oh, for your eyes and, uh, only. Yes. I'm going to jump around a bit, but even at the point in... Killing your sister George. Killing your sister George with Beryl Reed, mm. which has an interesting story in that where you describe it, it pretty much seemed to die when it was going around the big regional oh, theatres. It was a disaster. Really weird, you know, to think you're in an absolute disaster and then on the first night suddenly realise you're in a... Yes, and Michael Codron was very, very... He was the producer. Um, for yeah. anybody who doesn't know what The Killing of Sister George is about, it's also quite groundbreaking because it was about mm. a lesbian couple. Mm. It's the first lesbian play. I mean, there'd been the American play that the children's are where they'd glanced on it and you could make your own mind up about it, but there was no making your own mind okay. up about it. was a very... Um, wasn't a great play by any means, but it was a very daring play for its time. It also suddenly made people look at Beryl Reed in a different way. I think mm. when, when you were told that it was going to be her, you were a bit suspicious because she had a history as a comedian. Well, she was very funny to rehearse with, because, you know, whenever we discussed a scene, she used to say, oh, if you two are going to talk, I'll go and make a phone call. <laughs> and it was a scene with, between us, you know. But I loved her. I simply adored her. We were friends for the rest of her life. Um, I, 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 I simply doted on her. She was... And she was wonderful in um, Smiley's People and... Uh, yeah, it was smart. Is, is it true that she couldn't work out a character unless she got the shoes right? Yeah, that was her. That, that, there are some people like that. I, I don't go by the thing, but she used to say that. She, and she might, that maybe that was true for her. When you and Jean Marsh created Upstairs, Downstairs, it was definitely from the perspective of people who knew a little bit about service, i.e. the below stairs. Yeah. Because your dad was in service. My dad was in service and her mum was in service. And her mum was in So that was the side of it. The book that you've written stops at 66 with the killing of Sister George. And there is but one paragraph on Upstairs, Downstairs, which you created with Jean. Well, because that was after that, you see. So I'm kind of curious as to why you wanted to stop at that point. Um, your publisher has put uh, act one of A Life on Stage. Well, yes, she put that, yes. I'm just wondering, well, firstly, how's act two coming? No, 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 no. <laughs> the whole thing was that. that I said once I became, once I became known, I don't use the word because I'm not famous. Every single person I've told I, I was having lunch with you went, oh, she's marvellous. They're very posh people who go to the right place. <laughs> I find it very boring reading people's books and they say, and then I did this and got wonderful reviews and then I did that. Once you're in any way really successful, I think it's boring. If not to read about, was it, do you think, slightly less exciting to become successful? In other words, was the struggle the it's most the, exciting bit? I think the bit? struggle is the exciting bit. I wanted to show how terribly difficult it is to get from the working class to classical acting. And yet you created two very successful TV series. Mm, I enjoy Up, creating them. Upstairs, Downstairs and House of Elliot. Yeah. Um, I'm very proud of them both. You, well, you wrote a number of things. I mean, you wrote the script for Mrs Dalloway. 
Yes. Somebody said to me the other day, you mean you've written this book? Okay, it was an adaptation, but I've also won a very nice prize for having written a film script. You know, which prize? Which one did you I get? I won the Evening Standard uh, Best a Film Award, but not even Best Adaptation, Best Film Script. I beat Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Did you? I was, you beat Guy Ritchie. Been, I've never been so pleased to beat anyone in my life because they were so full of themselves that night. They'd won nearly everything. And they went, ah, yeah, here we go, now we get this one. And I got it. I've never been so thrilled with an award in my life. Awards are nice, aren't they? They're, they're fun, but you can, if you're still in a show with someone and you've won, they can be tricky. Ah. You've had Tonys, you've had BAFTAs. I haven't won. I've, I've been nominated four times for a Tony. Oh, but you've not won? No, been very grateful <laughs> twice that I hadn't won. Very grateful. Why? Because each time David Merrick had said to me, if you win, I'm extending the run. And you didn't want to have to no, carry on? No, And the other thing was, he caught me congratulating <laughs> that I hadn't won. <laughs> I got a real telling off. For those who don't know, Dave Merrick was one of the great Broadway producers. Oh, Eggs Thank Benedict you. has Thank arrived, you. and doesn't they look beautiful? Absolutely sausages. bloody perfect. And I've got basically sausages and, uh, sausage and chips, kind of. Up until ten years ago, I'd done more plays in America than I've done in England. Well, you've said that You've, you've, you get bums on seats on Broadway, mm. perhaps in a way that you feel you don't in the West End. Mm. Although, you know, Michael Billington, uh, the great drama critic of The Guardian, has always sung your praises. Um, he hasn't always. When I started, I rather noticed that he didn't sing my praises. He was somebody who didn't. But then... Well, never mind. Huh. Anyway, we're, he, well, we're big friends your, he, now. There's a particular phrase, sublime economy, which is the ability to not do too much. I couldn't be praised more. I don't say I don't read the notices because they're too bloody important, mainly because people have got money into you. So do you pay attention if there's a, a review that says that, you know, Ms Atkins is off her mark? I've had one like that. When we were doing Semi-Detached, we were on tour in Oxford. The local Oxford Mail said something like, it wasn't terrible, but it was like saying, not good enough. And I went into the offices of the Oxford Mail and said, who wrote this? You went to the newspaper office yes. to say who wrote this? Yes. And and so some poor shuddering man came towards me and I said, well, what did you mean? Are you saying I'm not good enough? And he said, oh, it doesn't read like that. And I said, yes, it does read like that. So I said, so what, what's wrong? What note would you give me? <laughs> and he, of course he didn't have any note at all because he was just writing any old thing and he'd never Bloody heard. critics. And he yes. So um, that's the only time I've ever argued with her because I realised that he didn't know what he was talking about. And I tended to think maybe the rest of them didn't. Of course, some of them do. What about the stuff that comes with success? I, I don't like all the things you have to do 
And I'm terribly glad, no one will believe me in the world, but I'm terribly glad uh, not to be highly visible. You took part in that terrific documentary, Nothing Like a Dame. Oh, yeah. Which was you, <laughs> oh, Maggie Smith. None of us wanted to do it. Judy Dench. Joan Powerwright. I mean, there, there are some marvellous moments in there where you are all brilliantly grouchy with the producers and the people shooting it. Do we have we, to do we more awful, of this? You were Michelle. awful people. You were, you were, seniority was exuding from every... It was what made it so fabulous. We were, we were all... You were four old bags really giving it yes, to them. Yes, <laughs> yes. It was, uh, it was in the end OK. I'm just curious about the dynamic when, when, when the four of you were together. There was both love between the four of you because you'd all worked together in different yes. formations. Yes. Actually, competition. Uh, there is all, you know, there is, it's always there. There was a, a, a sort of running gag about every bloody park gets offered to Judy Dench first and then everybody else gets a pick. No, that's Mag, that's Mag is a particular <laughs> uh, thing. There's been one part that. One part that was you that wanted Ju them. That Judy got, and she'd done three movies that year, and I thought, oh, surely she'll miss that middle one. But she was brilliant in it. So I couldn't have done better, and that, that's the end of it. She played a, a lesbian who followed Kate Blanchett around, and I've totally forgotten. Uh, notes on a scandal. Well done. Thank you very much. something with Vanessa as well, Vanessa Redgrave, where you were told that, I'm hoping I'm not misremembering, if it's not Vanessa, this will be embarrassing, um, that the first thing you had to do was take all your clothes off, and you argued... That wasn't Vanessa. Uh, who, who was it? Glenda Jackson. Glenda Jackson, well, enormous. <laughs> and yes. you hesitated and wanted to argue, and by the time you turned around, Glenda had all her clothes off. Yes, that's absolutely true. <laughs> no, my, God, my admiration for Glenda is massive. I mean, I wouldn't be in it with her when she played Leah. I was offered Gloucester, and I said, no, thank you. Actually, oh, what on, I it. said was, I will play Gloucester if Maggie Smith will play Kent. And the thought, and of course, at the time, I was imagining us all playing it in chain mail and things. And if I want to give myself a really good laugh, if I can't go to sleep, I think about us, me and Maggie in chain mail and armour plating, walking on stage and playing Gloucester and Kent. And that makes me laugh a great deal. Against Glenda Jackson's King Lear? Yes. Um, <laughs> you, you said in an interview when you were doing Doubt in New York, mm. played a, you played a lot of nuns. Oh, Can yeah. I say, you're I good at a nun. Outfit. I almost take a part as a nun automatically because I so suit the outfit. Queen Mary twice. Once, yes, or once yes, obviously yes, in the yes. crown, which is a yes. which is a spectacular turn. I play a lot of royals, which is funny for a cockney girl, isn't it? A um, lot of royals, and a lot of nuns, none in doubt. But one of the things in a particular interview there, uh, where the part is an austere nun who is calling a an errant cleric yes. to account, is a very Catholic to, thing. Yeah, um, you, and you said to the director, "I'm terrifying enough as a person. I don't mean to be." Don't tend to be, but I'm naturally terrifying. Do you think you are? Well, people seem to be frightened, and I think people who have quick tempers, you can sort of... There's something about them that you feel might fly off. 
in a minute. And I don't want to be. I really don't want to be frightening. I was in the middle of rehearsals, you know, before the lockdown for this play. Uh, the 4,000 Miles with yeah. Timothy Chalamet. Yes. And they were, there were three of them, three. He, he was 24, and then there were two lovely girls of 20-something. And, you know, I suppose I was so much older, they, they would be a bit nervous anyway. But it, we were just beginning, I was just beginning to break the age gap and make them not see you as not me, uh, just see me as Although, it has to say, the play is about a kid who goes to see his 91-year-old grandmother in upstate True. Yes. Connecticut. So It is um, about age difference, yes. Yeah, it's about age difference, and you're, you're slightly too young for the part, it has to be said, but still, well, they cast you. I just about get there by the time we do it. <laughs> what, what, did, what have you made of Timothy Chalamet so far? Oh, he's terrific. I mean, he's terrific. He's a, an, an, he's a terrific actor. And, you know, people were saying, oh, but come and do it in theatre. He's done... The British are so insular. He's done two plays on or off Broadway in big theatres there. One of them was on Broadway. And he's, he's you know, he's shown he can act on stage already. He doesn't have to come here. He just wanted to do the play, and he wanted to do it here. Um, no, he, he's, he's terrific. If, if we ever get to do it, he's going to be wonderful. I have to just bring up one story about you, which is the Colin Farrell story. Oh, God. I went on Loose Women to promote something like Beckett, I think. It was something very serious. Those women sort of started to put, all, put, all put on serious faces when I went on, you know. I said, and can you talk? And I looked at the audience, and it was a lot of jolly grey-haired women. And I thought, oh, God, they don't want to hear about Beckett. Just before I went on, they were all discussing and laughing about um, sex without strings. That had been the that had been the subject before you. Yeah, before me. So I said, "Well, look, let, let, don't don't let's get on to serious acting talk." I said, I, "I want to join in your talk that was going on before, which is with sex without strings." And I'd like you all to know, there's always a cheerful note for older people here. Um, when I was just about to be 70, I was offered sex by a gorgeous young man, which I declined. And then, of course, they said, who was it? And I said, well, of course, I'm not going to tell you. By the time I reached home, the car had got me home, there were journalists around my door. Because they'd worked out who it had to be? Yes. And at the end, these women kept saying to me, who was it, who was it? And one of them went straight. And, of course, they just had to work out um, where I was, what job I was doing, rang the agency and said, what job was Eileen Atkins doing? And for a whole year, I had not said anything about this encounter. And then this happened. Uh, which film were you doing with Colin? Oh, it was a bad film. He won't mind me saying that. We both knew it was bad. It was called Hit the Dust? No, Bite the Dust? No. Something the dust. <laughs> it's all. It's lost for dust. It's, it's gone lost. for dust. It's gone for dust. Had you just played a great scene together, and it was the classic case no. of two act? No, I mean when he propositioned you. No, I was playing his landlady in this film in a grey wig. <laughs> but I, I knew he had some kind of thing about me because the director, you'll know his name because he wrote Chinatown, Robert Town. Right. Robert Town asked me to do the part, and I said, no, I had no interest in going to South Africa and doing two weeks filming. 
in a script I thought wasn't very good. And then my agent said, Robert Chan really wants to speak to you privately. And I thought, well, if the man who wrote Chinatown wants to speak to me privately, I'll go and speak to him. And he was a lovely man, Robert Chan. And he, he was directing this thing for an old friend. It was all people were doing a good turn, that's what yeah. happened. And he said, I said, I just don't want to do it. And he said, but Colin really wants you to. And I said, Colin who? <laughs> and he said, Colin Farrell. And I didn't even know who he was. And he said, I'm going to give you a film. He said, you've never seen Colin's work. I said, no. And he gave me the film of Colin doing that film in the phone booth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I thought... Which is in real time, it's an extraordinary film. is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, they've all been so nice. This boy's obviously very clever. Robert Town is really terribly nice and wrote Chinatown. Oh, for goodness sake, I didn't just go and do it. And then he really had wanted me to play. <laughs> <laughs> I got the impression, I think you said somewhere, men were furious with him for thinking... For fancying someone who was not, as far as they were concerned, non-fanciable. And the women were, fan- were furious with you for not taking him up on it. Yes, yes. Yes. No, he's, he's a dear soul. I mean, I, I, I really do adore him, but he's... Uh, no, it, I didn't... I, w- I was reading at the time Notes on a Scandal, thinking I might be going to do it. And he, w- he was so determined to stay in the room. He said, is this your bedtime reading? OK, I'll read to you then. <laughs> well, that's sweet. Of Notes on a Scandal. No, he just... Well, there you are. We didn't. He is the most enchanting man. A real gentleman, as it turned out, because, you know, Jonathan Ross was sort of saying, why the hell her? When you could, what about Helen Mirren? What about, the, you know, the obviously sexy ones? And he just very sweetly sat there. So, but I've seen him since anyway. He came to my first night when I played The Nun. Right. When, he, he, when you played Doubt? When I played yeah. Doubt on, on, on Broadway, after we'd done the movie, he came, he came to my first night. I think he's a terrific actor, just terrific. You have turned down some pretty sexy roles. You, didn't you turn down the part that Joanna Lumley took in The Wolf of Wall Street, the uh, Martin Scorsese movie? Yes, I did. Um, I actually knew the producer very, very well. That's probably why they thought of me for that. Yeah, I was doing the stage version of the Beckett play, All That Fall. And Scorsese absolutely couldn't understand why he simply left the play and came to... <laughs> come to do his and, movie. And, and in fact, the producer I knew didn't understand that. Nobody understood. I, it, nobody it was like, but that's just a play that you're going to do off-Broadway. Doesn't that, in a way, almost sum up your career, Eileen, that you declined to do a Martin Scorsese movie, in which you would, salaciously, I add, end up kissing Leo DiCaprio because you were much more interested in doing a Beckett play? None of it. It was a brilliant film, I have to say. It was a great, great film. The producer of Women in Love was crazy about my work, Larry Kramer. And I was in France and he asked me to come and meet Ken Russell. And I said I wouldn't come until I'd finished my holiday. I was with somebody wonderful, and uh, I 
came to London and went in to see Russell and he asked me how old I was and I said 32, which I was at the time. And, he, and as I left the room, Larry came screaming out and said, why did you say you were 32? I said, because I am 32. And he said, oh, Ken's in there now saying, yeah, I can see what you mean about her. She's right, but she's, she's saying she's 32. That means she's 35 or 36, because they all lie. And um, when we get really out uh, filming, we'll see that she's too old. I said, oh, if he's as silly as that, I don't want to work with him. And <laughs> I, went, I, I went to San Francisco to be on a very interesting theatre project thing and a man who I was very interested in was going to it too and uh, I was in San Francisco and he said come back and um, he wants to test you and I said no I'm not coming back to test he never stopped saying to me you know you could have been a film star but that's never been an interest of mine it I mean people might say she should be so lucky I'm happy to be in films from time to time, but it's not my interest. I don't enjoy it anything like, I, not remotely as much. And in fact, sometimes I truly detest it. And that was a wonderful movie too, Women in Love. It was a superb movie and it um, made Glenda. And uh, if, if that, um, Glenda, Glenda's been very clever though, because she's used, I'm brave, because she's used both, she's used the, uh, she's used the film and then gone back to the theatre from time to time. Well, there you are. Um, as we come towards the end of this, um, you, you've said that retirement isn't for you. You don't understand what that really means and that working is where the pleasure is. Yes, I'm beginning to think at 87 <laughs> that I might be forced to retire. You know, are the words always going to stay in? You know, the minute I really am... Um, in trouble, I will stop. I mean, 4,000 miles would be eight performances a week, wouldn't it? No, um, they very kindly had said I can only do seven. Oh, that's an enormous reduction of the, of the workload, and I'm sure you're grateful. I'd learned it. Whether it'll ever come back again, I don't know. We'll see. Gilgood did it till he was 90-something. But then I remember saying to him how brilliant he was on the radio playing Lear. And he said, oh, no, I'm so slow now, so slow. And he just rippled it through, you know. You know, I don't want to be less than very good, so if my body stays with me and my brain stays with me, yes, but if it you, all starts, Do you think you'll know? <laughs> no, I don't know. I wonder if anybody will be brave enough to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're terrified, so obviously not. No, I'm too terrified. Right. Well, look, I'm, I hope you've enjoyed a full sit-down. Um, Loved it. And all that remains for me to say is, Dame Eileen Atkins, thank you for letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you, Jay. It's been not only delicious, but a joy to be with you. Lovely. Long may she continue. Dame Eileen's new book is entitled Will She Do? Act One of A Life on Stage, and it really is a hell of a read. Um, thank you to the lovely people at the Delaunay, which is on Aldwych near Covent Garden, London. Please share this podcast. Um, we would appreciate it if you could give us, I don't know, five stars and comment in glorious terms on Apple Podcasts. All that stuff really does help us to keep making more of them. Out to Lunch is a something else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged, and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. 
Berg. The recording engineer was Paul Brogdon and the mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's comedian, actor, writer and producer Jack Whitehall. I just like to go up on stage and just shit on myself for an hour and a half. <laughs>